Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program. You have a warning. In this episode, we're talking about alien reproduction vehicles. That's correct, alien reproduction vehicles. And after we uh, take a look at an article on this, I want to also go over uh, the untimely sudden death of a ARV uh, whistleblower. So stay tuned for that. Now, the first article comes to us from Medium.com, written by Chris Thompson, April 25th, 2018. Title says, A Brief History of the Alien Reproduction Vehicle. And it has an illustration here of what you would consider kind of a classic flying saucer uh, proportional system on the bottom with a couple of jump seats on top for the pilot and co-pilot. It says the U.S. has been reverse engineering ET tech since 1942. Everyone knows about Roswell, but this was preceded by another flying saucer crash at Cape Girardeau, Missouri in 1947. A local preacher, Reverend William Huffman, was called out one night to perform last rites over the victims of what he was told was an airplane crash. When he arrived, he found that the airplane was a disc-shaped craft. There were three non-human victims of the crash that looked like typical greys, and the craft had strange runic hieroglyphs all over it. This puts me in mind of uh, the uh, bell that was created by the Nazis that they were supposedly trying to reverse engineer a UFO with these strange runic symbols on it. It says the local fire department records show that there was a fire truck dispatched to the scene on the night of the incident and that the firefighters were forced to sign military non-disclosure agreements about what they saw there. Dr. Bob Woods, who was reported, who was probably the world's foremost authority on UFOs at the time, having been assigned to investigate the phenomena for the Douglas Aircraft Company, found documents in the National Archives referring to the Cape Girardeau incident. They described what were clearly known today as fiber optic cables running all through the ship. This discovery was the inspiration for the reverse engineering of the fiber optic technology that would not appear in public until almost 30 years later. During World War II, the Nazis had been working on anti-gravity flying discs. This was to be Germany's superweapon, as the atomic bomb was America's, but America beat Germany to the punch, and the Nazis never finished the technology, at least in Germany. In wake of the war, however, Operation Paperclip brought those same Nazi scientists over to America where they were promised immunity from prosecution for their war crimes if they would finish their anti-gravity projects for the U.S. military. Then the Roswell crash happened, and the Nazis were able to incorporate ET technologies into their designs. The most famous Nazi scientist of all, Werner von Braun, claimed that he was shown the Roswell crash site and debris along with alien bodies. He was also heard to say that the explanation for the advanced state of German physics and aerospace development was that the Nazis had received help from some outside agencies implying aliens. Now, just as a side note, a lot of folks think that if aliens are here, they're here to help. But really, if those aliens were helping the Nazis, when you consider all of the terrible crimes the Nazis committed, millions upon millions of people being systematically murdered, if those aliens were actually helping the Nazis, I think it's the kind of help that we can do without. Hermann Orberth, von Braun's predecessor and mentor, also explicitly explicitly expressed the same views. Quote, we cannot take the credit for our record advancement in certain scientific fields alone. We have been helped. When asked by, by, when asked by whom, he replied, 
the people of other worlds. In another interview, he was quoted as saying, It is my thesis that flying saucers are real and that they are spaceships from another solar system. There is no doubt in my mind that these objects are interplanetary craft of some sort. I and my colleagues are confident that they do not originate in our solar system. Once again, if these things were helping the Nazis, how good can they be? Within a decade of the events of 1947, we see the rise of the national security state in the United States. The CIA was formed just a few months after Roswell, followed by quickly by, the NAS by NASA, DARPA, and the National Reconnaissance Office. According to documents leaked to UFO researcher Jamie Shandera in 1984, it was also during this time, 1952 to be exact, that Majestic 12, or MJ-12, was formed. The documents leaked to Shandera were a national security briefing to the President-elect Eisner. And it goes on and talks about MJ-12 a little bit. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but it doesn't change the fact that you know we brought over all these Nazis who had been working on this anti-gravity technology. What was so important to us that we should just uh, forego their war crimes and bring them to this country, and then suddenly we see all this explosion in technology in the United States. It says... He goes on and says, later, an even more revealing document, the MJ-12 operations manual emerged. And then he goes on and talks about this. He says, from this period, and the period from 1952 to 1957 is kind of the golden age of anti-gravity in the U.S. The sudden surge of interest in this technology was driven by what should have been one of the most spectacular events in U.S. history, but which today is largely forgotten. On the night of July 20th, 1952... A swarm of UFOs buzzed the White House, and it happened again a week later over the weekend of July 26th to 27th. The first incident started with just seven UFOs, which aircraft controllers at Washington National Airport spotted on radar 120 miles south of the city and approaching rapidly. The senior air traffic controller on duty at the time, Harry Barnes, said that he knew immediately that a very strange situation existed. Their movements were completely radical compared to those of ordinary aircraft. After confirming that, that the radar was operating normally, Barnes called the backup radar center and discovered that not only were the objects visible on the radar there, the operator also told him that he could see one of the objects from his control tower. The operator, Howard Coughlin, told Barnes that he could see a bright orange object moving erratically. Right about, the, <clears throat> right about that time, the radar screen suddenly erupted with multiple new contacts. And this is the sort of sight that we still have today. Uh, a person will see maybe one or two of these orange globes, and then suddenly a whole uh, mass of them appear. And here these things are showing up over the White House in 1952. But this, as they say in this article, seems to be one of those uh, mass UFO sightings that's just overlooked and really not talked about. When these radar targets sh slowed down and began moving over the Capitol building in the White House, Barnes became alarmed and called Air Andrews Air Force Base about 10 miles from the National Airport. The officers at Andrews said they had nothing on their radar, which is unusual in itself. Why did the craft appear on civilian radar, but not military radar? But they did confirm visual sightings of the aircraft. One airman reported seeing an object like an orange ball of fire trailing a tail, which took off at an unbelievable speed, which he was running to alert when he, while he was running to alert other personnel. About an hour into the sighting, Andrew's radar was also picking up multiple objects. Did it really take that long for the radar to detect the object, or did it just take that long for the commanding officer to admit it, the author asked. And the order was given to scramble Air Force fighters to investigate. 
The author says, I find it interesting that it took the Air Force so long to respond. You'd think a violation of the Washington, D.C. airspace would be the greatest possible threat to America's national security and would warrant an immediate response. Was the Air Force helping the UFO, hoping the UFOs would just go away so they could pretend nothing happened like they always do? Well, you have to ask yourself, this is five years later, you know, uh, my question is, by that time, the, the deep state was already starting to be established, you know, with the creation of all these alphabet agencies, intelligence agencies in the late 40s. Uh, is it possible that, that these UFOs were not from uh, another uh, solar system? Is it possible that these UFOs, that they had already uh, reproduced UFOs that they could use here on Earth? And maybe this was some sort of threat by the deep state to the executive branch and to Congress to say, look, we've got this technology, we're in charge, you're not, you're going fl- to straighten up and fly right by our rules. It says around the time the planes took off, U.S. Air Force witnesses reported seeing multiple objects that appeared to hover and stand still and then made an abrupt change in direction and altitude. These maneuvers would have been impossible for any conventional aircraft to make. Some witnesses said the objects appeared to be balls of orange light. Others reported massive silvery disc-shaped objects. At one point, all three radars, the two at the National Airport and the one at Andrews, triangulated and tracked a solid object hovering over a radio beacon, only to have it abruptly disappear from their screen simultaneously. It's important to note that it did not fly off at high speed. It simply disappeared. Now, if these things can travel at faster than the speed of light, which they are speculated to be able to do by using the zero-point energy fill. It could be that it just left at such an accelerated rate that it appeared to disappear. Uh, it goes on, it says, the one, Once the Air Force jets arrived on the scene, all of the intruder aircraft simply disappeared from the radar scopes. As soon as the jets left to refuel, the flying objects reappeared and started buzzing the capital again. This cat-and-mouse game continued for the next several hours until dawn came and the aerial objects left for good. As you might expect, the reaction from the press the next day was explosive. It was all over the news. As you might not expect, there was no reaction from the government. Things must have been very different in that time. The government couldn't get away with saying nothing these days. Well, no, they wouldn't say nothing. They would just uh, quickly develop a narrative that that came up with some sort of reason why these things were uh, drones, space trash, swamp gas. That's the difference today. The author goes on and says, he says, but as I mentioned, it all happened again a week later when a stewardess on a National Airlines flight reported strange lights around her aircraft. Fighter jets were immediately scrambled to to intercept. When they arrived on the scene, one of the F-94 jets broke off to chase a group of four objects, only to have them suddenly change course and surround his fighter. When the pilot radioed in for instructions from the tower, he was met with stunned silence. By this time, there were unknown objects being tracked in every sector, with some of them making right-angle turns at speeds calculated as being in excess of 7,000 miles per hour. An additional two F-94s were scrambled later, and one of them chased a bright light, which sped away from him and then simply disappeared. The next day, the UFOs were headline news again, and this time there was an official reaction, but the official narrative kept changing. First, it was reported that the Air Force had issued shoot-down orders should the craft reappear. 
Then, President Truman said he would ask U.S. Air Force Captain Edward Ruppelt, the head of the newly formed Project Blue Book, to look into the sightings. Finally, there was a press conference headed by General Roger Ramey, who had quashed the Roswell incident in 1947. Ramey told the press that the objects were mirages caused by temperature inversions, and that the radar operators had simply mistaken them for solid flying objects. However, the radar personnel said that they were used to weather-related returns and were paying no attention to them. They reiterated their position that all those present in the radar room were convinced the targets were most likely caused by solid metallic objects. Then he goes on and says, Notice the second statement from the Air Force completely contradicts the first one. At first, they were going to shoot down the objects if they reappeared, but you can't shoot down temperature inversion mirages. There's a parallel here with what happened to Roswell. At first, the Air Force announced to the press that the object that crashed was a flying saucer. The next day, it was a weather balloon. The pattern in both instances is, first, someone not in the cover-up tells the truth, then someone in the cover-up tells a lie. It's also interesting that President Truman seemed at cross-purposes with the Air Force. Truman seemed to want an official, perhaps even an honest, investigation of the event. The Air Force just wanted to cover it up. After the unexplained flyovers of Washington, D.C. in July 1952, the U.S. government seemed to go into panic mode. Within months, new and powerful agencies were created or given bigger budgets, seemingly in response to the events of the summer. Well, you wonder, were they reacting to this possible alien invasion, or was or was the sighting of these uh, craft, were these actually alien reproduction vehicles created by these deep state entities that were being used to intimidate and blackmail our own government? Is that what's really going on here? Are, in some of these cases, are we actually seeing deep state created alien reproduction vehicles posing as UFOs and being used to intimidate or elected officials into uh, increasing their budgets. You have to wonder. He goes on and says, he says, after the unexplained flyovers of Washington, D.C. in July of 52, the U.S. government seemed to go into panic mode. Within months, new and powerful agencies were created or given bigger budgets, seemingly in response to events of that summer. Operation Paperclip, the importation of German scientists and engineers, which was dramatically accelerated over the objections of President Truman. The U.S. had just been shown that some power, possibly extraterrestrial, had vastly superior aircraft that could literally fly circles around anything the Air Force had and enter and leave Washington, D.C. airspace at will. The UFO represented a possible enemy the U.S. had no defense against, so the Air Force used every means at its disposal to develop effective counter-technologies. He says, T. Townsend Brown, an American inventor and engineer, discovered a way to create anti-gravity through electricity in 1929. However, by then, Einstein and relativity had taken hold of physics, and that camp said that there was no connection between gravity and electricity, so Brown's device was impossible. Despite producing repeated results under experimental conditions, Brown continued to develop and refine his invention over the next 23 years, despite no one in the scientific establishment taking him seriously because his device broke the laws of physics as they were understood at the time. But the events of July 1952 made the U.S. government much more receptive to his ideas, and they might have been the first trickle in a flood of anti-gravity research. Not only was Brown pitching his idea to industry and military leaders, but pretty much every company in the defense sphere of operation got into the act. 
There are extensive newspaper articles from the period which identify the U.S. government's interest in anti-gravity propulsion, and it's pretty obvious that they were playing catch-up. There were even notices from Glenn L. Martin Aerospace Company looking for engineers interested in developing anti-gravity propulsion systems. During this time, the U.S. military opened a number of program offices dedicated to the study of anti-gravity effects. One of the most prominent was the Aeronautical Research Laboratory, ARL, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, now better known as Area 51. Wow. There was also the Research Institute for Advanced Study, or RIAS, which shared information with ARL, all of which... All of this research lasted for about five years in the middle of the decade. Then it all suddenly went silent. It's interesting. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what happened. The military invited and encouraged all of these anti-gravity ideas. And then after they got all the detailed proposals, they threw up a wall of secrecy around the whole subject and took it private. They've probably been, been working on developing the technology in secret for decades. Well, of course, this is exactly what we've been talking about. The military hiring these private companies to come in and develop this technology and this just creates a total barrier that's impenetrable you can't send FOIA requests to these uh, defense companies now the article goes on here i won't finish reading the whole entire thing but he says at the very end he says uh, we already have the means to travel among the stars quote unquote but these technologies are locked up in black projects and it would take an act of god to ever get them out to benefit humanity, anything you can imagine we already know how to do, quote-unquote, Ben Rich Director Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. So, you know, reading that article, it makes you wonder, uh, it seems it seems for sure that these UFOs have been spotted, but you have to ask yourself, well, are these actual UFOs of the aliens, or are these alien reproduction vehicles that the, dates, that the deep state has uh, developed, you know, decades ago, and now they're using to somehow clandestinely control uh, what we assume are uh, our democratically elected officials. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, I want to finish up with this uh, article here from uh, shiftfrequency.com. It's written, I don't see the author's name here offhand. It's dated May 23rd, 2021. Okay, I think it's Joseph P. Farrell. It says, The sad and mysterious death of, UFO, of UFOlogist Mark McCandlish. That's Mark McCandlish, M-C-C-A-N-D-L-I-S-H. It says, We lead off this week's blogs with a story I did not want to write, much less even hear about, and the story is already a few weeks old, but only now does there appear to be enough information to justify a blog about it. A few days ago, my friend and colleague, Walter Bosley, asked me if, if it was true that Mark McCandlish had died. I responded that I didn't know, but, I, but a short search revealed that he had, but the details were sketchier than they are now. Were sketchier than they are now. This hit uncomfortably close to home because having known about Mark and his UFO work, 
particularly in regards to the vehicle he made famous, the so-called Alien Recovery Vehicle, or sometimes Alien Reconstruction Vehicle, ARV. I first met him when he was a fellow speaker at the 2014 San Mateo Secret Space Program Conference. His presentation was on that very subject, and the details he disclosed, and the details he would disclose, were of such great interest to me because many of them dovetailed with my own speculations about hidden physics and technology. Now, a, a quick search of YouTube, you can find uh, lots of videos of Mark talking about these alien reproduction or alien reconstruction vehicles that were reproduced by uh, the U.S. military. Uh, he's done a lot of interviews on it. He says, one can imagine that when I heard of Mark McCandless's death a little over a month ago, this is 2021, of course, I was saddened and immediately suspicious. One of the things that he talked about during his talks at the conference was how complicated and difficult his life had become since entering the UFO field with his detailed drawings. This guy was an illustrator. I mean, he could draw these beautifully illustrated uh, drawings of, you know, of of high-tech weapons, uh, uh, fighter jets, UFOs. He was really talented. Also present, also present at the conference was Robert Morningstar, who was also a speaker, and who has now gathered and presented the following information. You can, and then it says, um, and you can see one of Mr. McCandless's drawings of the ARV and the high quality of his work in this presentation. Goes on, it says, what's notable in the articles and interviews presented by Morningstar is that Mr. McCandless thought that many of the recent popular UFO flaps were really about hidden technology that we humans possessed. All of in, also of interest to the site's readers is Mr. McCandless's belief that non-terrestrial intelligent life has been visiting this planet for a very long time, perhaps millennia. And more interestingly, some of it isn't friendly, a view that accounts in some respects with my own regarding the assumed friendliness of alleged visitors. Well, Yes, if alien uh, entities were helping the Nazis develop anti-gravity uh, devices or weapons, how could you consider that friendly? I mean, let's just be honest. As for the human basis of this alleged hidden technology, McCandless also believed that there was a vast underground infrastructure supporting its development and maintenance. Again, a few... <clears throat> a view that accounts in its broad outlines with many of my speculations and the books on the vast underground networks of secret Nazi research during World War II and the extent of similar known underground facilities that I briefly reviewed in some of my books, most notably saucers, swastikas, and psyops and COVID wars and breakaway civilizations. Well, yeah, we just heard that the military is missing another $2 trillion. So if they wanted to, if they wanted to fund uh, vast underground networks, they certainly have the money to do it. As one continues reading the article, one comes to Robert Morningstar's editorial comments where he is informed of the following. Mark McCandlish died on April 13, 2021 in his home on Redding, California of a shotgun blast to the head. Shasta County Coroner's Office official report cites his death as suicide from self-inflicted gunshot wound. Mark McCandlish spoke to his friend Rick Price late that day, April 13th, and Mark told him that he was going to rest and would call him later. Mark also spoke to his girlfriend later and told her that he would speak to her when he went to work at the animal at her animal shelter. When Mark did not show up for work and failed to call her, Mark's girlfriend, who had a key to his house, went there to look for him and found his body dead from a gunshot wound to his head. It's just terrible.
It goes on, it says, A colleague of Mark McCandlish, member, member of UFO SSP Disclosure Group with Mark McCandlish was associated, wrote on May, 20, on May 10th, 2021, regarding Mark McClandlish suicide with shotgun blast to his head, he was going to testify for Senate UFO slash UAP meeting in June. Wow. So he was supposed to show up to testify in June, and a couple weeks before, he ends up with a shotgun blast to the head. Wow. This testimony would have destroyed the we haven't made much progress narrative. Also, the one who showed also the one who showed the Tic Tac was actually US Air Force SSP drone. That would also destroy that narrative came out and reversed and said and said he made it up. Mark probably didn't go along. It's an agenda. It's complicated for sure. Wow. Robert D. Morningstar, editor, publisher of the UFO Spotlight, and a friend and colleague of Mark McHandless, since the June 2014 Secret Space Program Breakaway Civilization Conference that he was held in San Francisco was a close friend. He goes on and says, um, Doubt the official story and reject the conclusion. Finally, it has been reported by one official that several federal agencies are investigating the death of Mark McClandish. If McClandish's death was, in fact, just a suicide, the editor asked, why should further investigation by multiple agencies of the U.S. government be necessary? When was the last time that you heard about a private citizen's uh, reported suicide being investigated by the federal government? Seems strange. It goes on and says, now to be sure, I did not know Mike McClandish well. Our contact at the 2014 Secret Space Program Conference was limited, and we had only passing and occasional contact since then. But what little I knew of him persuades me that he just was not the type to commit suicide, much less by a gunshot to the head. What is of interest in Mr. Morningstar's editorial comments, however, is the statement that Mr. McClanless was allegedly scheduled to testify to a U.S. Senate meeting on UFOs and UAPs, the new term for UFOs. <coughs> Next month, I'm reminded of another such convenient death, that of George, George D. Warnchild, who also allegedly committed suicide by shotgun mere days before his scheduled appearance to the 1970s Committee on Assassinations to testify about what he knew of the JFK assassination. Says that does not prove anything regarding McClanish's sad demise, but Morningstar does raise the relevant question. If there is nothing suspicious about McClanish's death, why would further investigation by multiple agencies of the U.S. government be necessary? Perhaps such investigations are routine in such cases, but when one reads the last hours of McClanish, one thing that clearly emerges is that they do not sound like a man in a suicidal frame of mind. My goodness. And he goes on, he finishes up here, he says... It's the last, he says, it's the last two of interest, and had McClandish come into possession of details that tended to corroborate either, then there would be powerful motivation by the parties involved to keep the details secret. Indeed, I've been, I've speculated many times about the second possibility, that the claims about the third have been echoed by other people. He's talking about, McClandish here says that there, uh, uh, he actually thought that there was an underground breakaway civilization happening. Uh, he he believed that they that they've been in, in contact uh, with someone claiming that there had been in, in, that there were extraterrestrials among us, and that he had made statements uh, that a telekinetic murder, for better ex explanation, was only possible that there had been carried out on the North Korea's previous leader. So, in other words, he had ideas that we already into an to a we already have a breakaway civilization that's going on in the world that. 
extraterrestrials are actually living among us right now, but we just don't recognize them, and that they actually have the power to remotely um, kill someone if that's necessary. And, you know, these might have been all subjects that uh, the deep state did not want discussed in, in an open congressional hearing. So this is like, this This is just is more of the same stuff that we talked about on yesterday's podcast where you have the sudden death of UFO investigators. And they find these people that maybe, like this fellow who had worked as an illustrator for uh, the Defense Department, these guys, that come, they, they come into this really uh, controversial knowledge, and once they go public... It seems as though they really are at a high risk of suicide at that point. Uh, this is why I'm so uh, I'm so certain that if we want to uh, find disclosure, if we want to learn more about the UFO phenomena, uh, I'm not really interested in trying to dig up secrets on the U.S. government or on the deep state. We can find all the information that we need just on our own observations by. Uh, eyewitness testimony by experiences of people who, who have been abducted or experienced UFO encounters. I think it's at this point. I almost, I almost just uh, it's it's an understanding that the deep state has access to a lot of this technology, uh, that they're keeping it from us, and you know, for somebody to have to to put their life at risk to tell us this. Is really nonsensical. We, it's a safe assumption to say, yes, they have a lot of this technology. How much we don't know, but it's enough to help them maintain control. And it's enough, we can, we can make the assumption that we're not going to be getting any kind of disclosure from these folks anytime soon. So the next time you see a UFO up in the sky, you have to ask yourself, well, is it the real thing from an alien civilization? Or could this possibly be one of these alien reproduction vehicles. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over now. out.